you have been called. Before the foundations of the earth, you were chosen by the Father to be adopted through the Son and sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've been called, church, for by grace you've been saved through faith. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be known, called. We've been called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Now we seek to think differently, live honorably, care compassionately, serve selflessly, and love unconditionally that the world might see Jesus in us. Each and every one of us are called. And so, church, let us be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Let us put on the whole armor of God that we can stand against the schemes of the devil and all that would seek to distract us from the mission that is before us. You have been called. We have been guided. May we, the church, be forever united in this truth. We have been called. Well, good morning, church. Are you fired up for God's word? Say yes. Yes. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Come on, opening question is this. Are you coming to understand? Are you coming to be blown away by this reality that you have been called? Are you blown away by that? Say amen. Amen. Um, Put your fingers like this if you would. Put your fingers like this if you would. Now put them right here. Put them right here. Right right on your temple. Let me teach you a little thing. Anybody, anybody as you've been learning about what it means to be called, has been any any aspect of this where your mind has just been, good, 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 like your your mind is just beginning to be blown. Um, Yeah. For me, there's been like week after week after week in the midst of my study, I feel like the Lord continues to show me new things about the depth of the calling that he has on my life. One of the things that has been blowing my mind has been this reality that the Lord has had a lot to say about how our calling, at least up to this point, has been more about who he's called us to be than what he's called us to do. Is anybody's mind blown about that? Like three, four, there's, there's six chapters in the book of Ephesians. Three full chapters in the book of Ephesians where we are learning what our call is, what God's call is upon us as believers and upon us as a church. And three full chapters in, we have not been called to do anything. I don't know about you, but when I think about the word call, I I immediately think and I immediately prepare myself of all the things that I am going to be asked to do. Anybody? I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, when my parents called me, when my parents called me, when I came to my parents, I I just assumed that there was something that I needed to do or or there was something that I forgot, that I forgot to do. Anybody? Well, apparently, apparently I have passed this down to my children as well, for better or for worse. Uh, My kiddos have the exact same expectation. Whenever I call their name, of course, I really do. I really do expect them to respond, and and, and off they come, and and here they go. And uh, immediately, they're expecting for daddy to have some form of instruction. And I was reminded of just how strong uh, this inclination is in my sons this past week or two ago. I guess it was two weeks ago. Robin was kind of filling me in that one of my kiddos was kind of struggling, kind of a personal thing, maybe a heart issue, if you will. Kids can be, well, you know, 
kids, right? And um, I called my son to me, and um, I saw the surprise in his eyes when I simply said to him, sit down. Daddy just wants to talk to you. You know, there's something powerful about first understanding who you've been called to be before you seek to engage in what you've been asked to do. Given the situation at hand, I just said, son, I just want to talk to you. Didn't say all this to him, but essentially the conversation was, I wanted to talk to him about who the Lord's called him to be. Who the Lord's created him to be. How he may not be like some of the others, and he may not be able to do some of the things that they can do, but that was... God's plan for him. There's something powerful about first sitting down and hearing who you are, learning who you've been created to be, wrestling with your strengths and your weaknesses before you jump up and engage in all the busyness and the hurriedness and all the ought-tos and the have-tos of life. You see, this is where we are in the book of Ephesians, actually. Uh, Like a father, like a father to his children, uh, like a shepherd to a church that he loves, he's essentially said to the church for these first three chapters, just sit down, sit down. We're going to have a conversation. It's not going to be an easy conversation. It's actually going to be a pretty deep conversation. A couple chapters in, your head might hurt as you try to put some of these theological understandings together. But I'm telling you, there's something powerful about just sitting down and hearing that you were chosen by your Father, that you're redeemed by the Son of God. There's something powerful about realizing that the Holy Spirit of God is inside you, and that He has saved you by grace, and that you are called according to His purpose, that God has good works prepared in advance for you. Please, please just stop here. Pause here, right? And then last week, it seemed as if we were just about ready to get up and get moving. And the Apostle Paul essentially said, whoa, 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 not so fast. Before you get up and get moving, there's one more thing you need to do. And that is you need to hit your knees and pray. Confidently and powerfully pray. Hear, hear the Lord. We realize we are the light of the world, but God has called us to shine as the light of the world, and that prayer is the power through which God's purpose and calling is unleashed in our lives. That is where we are. But if you're anything like me, you're like, all right, all right, all right, three chapters, like 10 sermons, like, I, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. I'm a child of God. I'm part of this church. We have a mission. 
We're to make disciples and multiply churches. I know, I know, I know. And I, I, know, and I know I'm supposed to pray, and I, and, and I have been. So, like, um, can, 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 can we get up now? Think about it. Think about it. If I keep my son in this chair too long, like, you ever had that dad or mom moment? You ever had that? Like, you're waxing eloquently, and he's like, uh, dad, um, can I get up now? So humbling. Look, if you're feeling motivated to get up, you're like, I get it, I get it, I get it. My brain is saturated. I can't take anymore. Just tell me what it is you want me to do. You are in a perfect place today. There's always more to learn. There's always more that we long to pray. But the reality is there comes a time when we have to get up and go. After all, faith without works is, faith without works is, somebody tell me faith without works is dead. Yeah, you've heard that. James chapter 2 verse 17, faith without works is dead. And here's the other thing, in a very real sense, James chapter 2 verse 22 also tells us that getting up and going actually helps to strengthen and galvanize our faith. Yes, we need to study. Yes, we need to sit. Yes, we need to learn. But if we don't put it into action, our faith will not be complete. James chapter, 20, chapter 2 verse 22 says this. You see, you see that faith was active long, along with his works. And faith, and faith was completed. Faith was completed. Faith culminates by his works. The point is this, we need to experience what we know to be true. The Lord calls us to experience what we know to be true. And so here's the deal. Are you ready to get up and go? If you say, let's go. If you are, say, let's go. Let's go. Good. Because today the rubber meets the road. The next three chapters, Ephesians chapter 4 all the way to chapter 6, if you've been wanting, wondering what it means and what the Lord is calling you to do, you are about to find out. Careful what you ask for. You're going to want to sit back in that chair over and over and over again so you have the power to get up and actually do it. That's why Paul's taken so long. Friends, here's the point today. Knowing who you are called to be, knowing who you are called to be motivates you to get up and commit to all that God has called you to do. Who the Lord has called you to be, who the Lord has called you to be, motivates you to get up and then be committed to all the Lord is calling you to do. There is a method, if you will, to Paul's, the Apostle Paul's madness, if you will. Knowing who we are ought to motivate us. Fulfilling our calling takes motivation and it's going to take commitment we find a motivation in sitting with the Lord. We find our commitment in going with him. Motivation is what gets us started. Commitment is what keeps us going. You been there? Motivation is what gets you going. Been there? Commitment is what keeps you going. You need both. You need both. You need both. You need both. If you're feeling motivated today, that's awesome. But if you leave here without making a commitment, your motivation will eventually Wayne, reality is, friends, you have all the motivation we need now. Remember, you are a child saved by God. 
You're surrounded by a divine community. You've been called to change the world. You've been sealed, gifted, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are the light of the world. You have all the potential in the world. God has given you full support. God has given you clarity and focus. You lack nothing in the spiritual realm. Let your light shine. And so it's now time to commit. It's now time to commit. It's now time to act on our motivation and go. Check out Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. The Apostle Paul says this, I therefore, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now this, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one God and father of all who is over all, who is through all, who is and who is in all all. The apostle Paul is saying this, it is time to commit. And if you, if you are among, if you are among those who struggle with making a commitment, if you are among those who feel motivated quite regularly, but you realize if you commit, then it's going to mean actually committing. Here's what I want you to catch. When you commit to the call of God, It is a choice that we all need to make individually. But it is a choice that you will never make alone. It is an individual choice that every one of us must make. But catch this. The point of this entire letter is this. When you choose to follow the Lord, that is a choice that you never have to make alone. It's a choice that you never have to walk out alone. As a matter of fact, if you're walking it out alone, then you haven't made the right commitment. Every command in this book, every time the Apostle Paul says you, I want you to catch this. It is plural. It is plural. He is talking to the church, and the church is made up of individuals. And so what I want you to catch today is this. For the rest of this letter, the Apostle Paul is saying, here's what you are being called to do so that we can be strengthened together and allow the glory of God to shine from the family called his church. Got that? You, we never have to do this alone. He's calling us to a mutual commitment. When you catch the text, the apostle Paul is calling us in three, three ways, three mutual commitments that he desires the church to make right out of the gate. And as we make these three commitments, we'll be able to fulfill what he's calling us to in the rest of the book. The first one is this. He's calling us to mutual, to a common conduct. The Lord is calling us to a common conduct. We know who we are. Now, come on, let's go. Let's do. The apostle Paul says this. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He says, I, therefore. Okay, always learning, always trying to be equipped. Come on, Bible scholar or just disciple of Jesus, lover of the Bible. When you see the word, therefore, what what must we ask? Come on, when we see the word, therefore, we must ask what? What is it, therefore? Every time, 
Don't ever not. Every time you see the word therefore, Bible student, lover of the Bible, you ask this question, what in the world is it therefore? And then you look back. And so the apostle Paul's like, look, 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 look. I want to urge you to get up now and to walk and to get moving. But here's the deal. I'm urging you to get up because of all that we talked about when you were sitting down. If you get up and you try to walk and you forget about the conversation in the chair, you're going to mess it up. I know it was long. I know you wanted to get up halfway through, but everything you learned there was so crucial. Notice he also says this, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. Again, Paul? Why is he bringing up being a prisoner again? Anyone? Paul's bringing up his, the fact that he's in prison again because he's urging us to make a commitment. Paul's urging us now to begin to embark on doing some really hard things. The apostle Paul's about to meddle in our, in our lives. And what is he doing by reminding us of his imprisonment? What is he doing? Look, look, look. I get it. I'm urging you. And as I urge you, what I want you to catch is this. Like, I'm a prisoner. Like, I know. I know, what it, I know what I'm asking of you. I know what the Lord is asking of you. Even as I pen these words, it is not lost on me what a commitment to the Lord just might cost you. Oh, by the way, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. And some of us are sitting here today, and when we made our commitments to the Lord, you are in circumstances right now that, you did, that, that, you, that never crossed your mind that you'd be in the middle of. You'll be overwhelmed if you don't come back and visit the chair regularly. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. Come on, friends, this is leadership. This is integrity and leadership. Come on, even on this Mother's Day, moms and dads, oh, how we long for our children to walk with the Lord, do we not? Oh, how we long for them to love Jesus and to meet with Jesus and to learn to pray to Jesus and be in the word and be in the word and make sacrifices on, on the reg to be able to serve and to love Jesus. And here's the deal. Like, think about it. How in the world can we go to the Lord frustrated or angry about our children if we ourselves aren't walking with the Lord? If we're just sending our kids to a certain institution or, or we're, we're sending our kids off to youth group hoping that, you know, they'll pick up Jesus while they're there. But you know they can hear your conversations on the cell phone, right? Like if y'all are using the same Netflix account, they know. What's up? They can read our posts. They have a front row seat to the way we treat each other. Paul says, I'm urging you. I'm urging you, but I want you to know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. 
I'll tell you one thing. I asked the Lord to do in others some things that I'm not willing to do myself. That, my friends, is hypocrisy. Me first. All right, Paul, prisoner of the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to do something I'm not willing to do. I know it's going to be costly. I'm exhibit A. And so Paul says, as one who understands, as one who understands, come on, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your call. Get up. The word urge here means to challenge. It means to persuade. What Paul was saying is, let's go. Let's go. It is time to walk. Oh, finally, finally, it is time to walk. And all throughout the New Testament, the word walk simply, simply means over and over and over again, it's talking about your daily life. The way you go about your daily life. And see, what the Apostle Paul is not doing is just talking about your next step. I wish, I pray that you would step in accordance of your calling. The tense here is like present ongoing, that you would walk, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But here's the thing. Here's what I want you to catch. It takes two feet to walk, right? But the problem is for many of us, and sometimes even myself included, I, I want to put one foot in the walk with Jesus track, and I want to put the other foot in the whatever Jerry wants track. Anybody? Number one, it starts to get really awkward. I had to wear my stretchy khakis today for this illustration. <laughs> Worse yet is like we don't realize it, but when we're around our Christian friends, like we're just like. And then when we're around our, you know, other, other folks on the other trail, we, we, we think we, they don't notice. One walk. One way. Jesus is saying you have one way. You don't have a church way and then a home way and then a community way and then a work way, right? And then a workout way. You don't have different ways. You have one way. You have one walk. It is with Jesus all the time. And that doesn't mean that that walk ought to be prudish. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be filled with joy and have fun. It just means every step you take, Lord, this one's for you, and 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 it's for you because I remember when I sat in this chair who you've called me to be. And if you've called me to be that, then I want to take every step here forward for you. That's where we're at. To walk worthy is not merely a goal or a casual pursuit. The Lord is calling us to commit to a lifelong singular focus. Commitment, here's commitment. Commitment is a long walk in the same direction. Commitment is a long walk in the same direction. And so when you commit to something, here's what I want you to, what I want you to envision in front of you, whatever you're committing to, it is a long walk in the same direction. It is a long walk in the same direction. Any commitment you make, you're like, I am now setting off, and now here's what I need to do. If I'm going to stay committed to that, I got to take the next step. I got to get up tomorrow and take the next step. I got to get in my car and go to the place I said I was going to go. I got to have the conversation the way I said I was going to have it. And any deviation off of that, that is a breaking, if you will, of your commitment, and you got to get back on. Commitment is a long walk in the same direction. Just take your next step. 
Notice what Paul says here. He says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you, you are being called to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And to understand the word, to understand what we're really being asked to do, we've got to understand the word worthy. Axios in the Greek. It's where we get the word axiom, right? A literal translation of the word means equal weight. See, Foster Paul says, I'm calling you, I'm urging you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. What you've been called to be, what you've been called to be, think of, think of a scale. What you've been called to be, you've been chosen by the Father. You've been redeemed by the Son. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You've been welcomed into the family of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're now His. And you've been given a cause and a mission and a purpose. And what He's saying is this you are walk now. This is who you are called to be. Now, who you are called to do is supposed to balance out on this scale. How's that going? I don't know about you, but I, like, I'm striving here, dude. I'm trying. Like, I really wanted to. I, I wanted to. So I go to church and, oh, look, look. Oh, I moved a little bit. That's neat. And I started to be nice to people. Ooh. Anyone tired of balancing the scale? I mean, do you ever just leave church feeling like, like if that's who God calls me to be, like I'm doing it wrong. The drive home proved that. Sped home and I yelled at my wife, shush. I didn't even make it to picking up my kids without complaining about the length of the service. I mean, this was awful. What the world? I'm telling you, this is so overwhelming. I mean, Paul, was this supposed to encourage us? Here's the deal. I want you, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the divine blessings of God in your life. I want you to walk in a manner that actually shows that you are saved. I want you to walk in a manner that proves that the holy God saved you and redeemed you and is sanctifying you. And everybody, everybody ought to be able to see in your everyday, they should look and be like, oh my word. This is the part where I tell you this is exactly what Paul means. Look closely. We are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Our walk is supposed to equal the eternal, infinite, 
salvific blessings of the Lord. And right about now, I want to tap out. I'm overwhelmed. I can't. Some days, I won't. So what do you got for us, Pastor? It's a message on commitment, like try harder. Yeah, tried that. It's part of the problem. We're trying. We're trying. We're trying. Today is about trusting. Today is about trusting. You see, it's completely overwhelming until we realize that the Lord would not call us to do that which he already has, that which he hasn't already empowered us for. You are a sinner. You will never balance the scale on your own. The fact that it overwhelms you is what's supposed to drive you to your knees in faith. This is what puts you back in the chair. This is what causes you to go back and remind yourself, oh my word, I'm so grateful that I was saved by grace. Because if I was saved by how I act right there, I am lost. Like I am helpless. I am never going to make that. And so I go back to the chair, and I go back to God's word, and I go back to being reminded that faith is a gift. Salvation is a gift. I will never measure up to this. Except you will. Through Jesus. Through Jesus. Can you believe in the eyes of God that thing is balanced in your life right now? Can you believe, come on, church, in the eyes of God, that thing is straight. In the eyes of God, Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, balance that scale. He looks at you and he says, look, because of the work of Jesus Christ, Here's a theme you're going to see for the rest of the book. We now hear this. You are not striving for victory. You are not striding for victory. You are now walking in victory. You are now learning what it means to become all the Lord has called you to be. You're now learning and growing and becoming. Your actions are starting to catch up with your divine internal reality. And it's less about trying and it's more about trusting. And as we trust, of course, then we got to get up and try. But let's get the order right. God has empowered you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted us all the things we need pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us to his own glory and excellence. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57 Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are already a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Here at church, we're not striving for approval. You've already been approved. How many ways can I say this? The same God who raised Jesus from the dead is now empowering you. The same God who is calling you to live The same God who is calling you to live like you were saved is the God who saved you so that you could live and adorn his glory. 
the Lord desires to empower you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. He longs for your life. He wants to empower you so people see your life here and desire to have what you have there. He's empowering you so people will see your life here and desire to have what you have there. It takes mutual commitment, church. We don't do this alone. We do this empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church. He's encouraging us now. Listen, listen, listen. All of us, we all have to strive together, rely on the Lord, trust together, and in lockstep, like a marching band, if you will, in step to the cadence, let us walk worthy of the calling to which we have all been called. Yes, it is great for a one-off to walk with the Lord, but what does it look like when the whole church walks with the Lord? Come on. What does it look like when people who aren't the same begin to love and value one another? Who, what does it look like when we bring our diverse political perspectives and our cultural inclinations and we put them all together and shake them up and allow the greater things of the Lord to unite us? And so now Paul launches in and he says this, come on church, let us walk, let us walk, let us find unity. A church that walks worthy is a church who mutually commits to being unified. We become a unified church that seeks to walk in purity as well. And so Paul, the apostle Paul launches in now, what does it look like to walk? What does it look like to walk worthy of our calling? And no surprise, by the way, guess where the apostle Paul goes? Just take a guess. Like he can't help himself. He goes right back to the heart. We get the heart right, we'll get the actions right. You know who you are now. You know who you are now. You know who you are now. Now here's the deal. There are virtues that are going to come out of your heart that are going to enable you to take every step for the Lord. Look at the text. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. With all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another with love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Five character qualities of a unified church. We are being called to commit to a common character. Common conduct. Let us march together so that people would see our lives collectively and desire what we have in the Lord. And then this. May we then. How do we get to that kind of conduct? Allow the Lord to renew our hearts. The first character quality is this, of a unified church, of a church who's seeking to walk worthy, is that we'll all be humble. Check this out. In Paul's day, like, humility was not a compliment. To be humble was not a virtue that was to be pursued. 
As a matter of fact, within the culture of the day, many commentators agree uh, that there wasn't even a word that actually matches the biblical word for humility. As a matter of fact, commentators and historians also are in agreement that they believe that the church and maybe even Paul himself is the one who actually made up this word so that we could have and be called to that which the Lord is calling us to. Humility apparently was a dirty word. It was a word that wasn't to be spoken to. To roam pride and self-promotion was the goal. Sound familiar? To think of others more highly than themselves was the, was the, was the call of a servant. Not unlike today, they were to look out for number one. They posted their best pictures on Facebook. Only reels where they're winning and making the lift actually made it on Facebook, right? As far as Instagram's concerned, as far as the gram is concerned, come on. What are we posting? What are we posting? The best side. Wanting people to believe it's the only side. Love this. I love this, this definition, this definition of humility. And note this. Paul's not just calling us to humility. He's calling us to all humility. All humility. All humility. Pride is defined this way. One commentator said, pride is having your heart and mind full, all full of yourself. Pride is having your heart and mind all full of yourself. Humility is having your heart and mind all full of God. I love this because it matches up with, the, with our passage last week. Verse 19 in chapter 3, what does it say? Paul prays that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. And so what is humility? Humility is not being all full of ourselves. Humility is found when we are all full of God. I love that. Let's define humility in the positive. To have all humility, of course, is to model the example of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, hear this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is our model for humility. To be humble means that we have a, an accurate view of ourselves. When Jesus humbled himself and came to earth, was he any less God? Say no. Was Jesus any less God? Say no. Did Jesus value himself any less than God? Please say no. To be humble is to have an accurate view of yourself. It's not to think of yourself too highly. It is not to think of yourself too lowly. To be humble is to acknowledge who you are in Christ Jesus. To be humble is to realize I was knit in my mother's womb. I was chosen by the Father. Jesus died for me. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. I am deeply and securely and significantly loved. I have a place. I have a purpose. God has a plan for me and I'm not apologizing for it. But here's the deal. I'm not flaunting it either. 
To be humble is not to think less of yourself. You know how the rest of that goes. Some would say it's to think of yourself less. I don't know. Have you tried that recently? How about you go ahead and think of yourself as all that the Lord has called you to be? And then just treat others like they have been as well. Be all the Lord has called you to be. And then treat others like they have been as well. You'll find humility there. You see, to be truly humble, to be truly humble means we must know who we are. Actually understanding our position, our purpose, our value, our strength, and our worth. Because to deny that is false humility, and it's also an offense to the Lord. And we need to acknowledge who we are in order for the next virtue to be true. You see what it is? Meekness. In order, in order to be meek, you got to know your strengths. In order to be meek, you got to know who you are. In order to be meek, you got to know what you bring to the table. In order to be meek, you actually have to have a clear view of what in the world you're capable of. Both positive and negative. You see, meekness is power and strength under control. Meekness is power and strength under control. Meekness, let me say it again, is power and strength under control. And by control, what I'm saying is this. You want to be meek? Learn to control yourself more and others less. Meekness. Meekness is learning to control yourself more and others and circumstances less. That's meekness. Come on. Let me camp here a while. I need to hear this. Meekness is learning to control ourselves more through the power of the Holy Spirit and control others less. Practically, it manifests itself. Some of your translations say gentleness. In order to be gentle, it requires restraint. Think of what Jesus did. He willingly held back his divine strengths for the sake of others. Philippians chapter 2. That's meekness. You know, when I think of meekness, any dog lovers in the room? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, you dog lovers. Um, I have nothing against pit bulls. They just scare me to death, all right? I have nothing against your pit bull. Love you. And, and if you have a pit bull, I love him too. Um, they just scare me. It's not a thing. It's just that they, the snoot, I think it is. Um, but, like, I still want to go out of my comfort zone, right? And, like, when I'm able to pet, some of y'all, I'm going to get an email over this. I know it. Just stay with me. When I'm able to pet this dog that I'm like super afraid of, and like he's like, and he's like, wait, wait, like he's wiggling the invisible tail. That's like the greatest part. Like, you know, they don't have tails, right? They cut, never mind. So, they, like, when he's, when he's like, when he's shaking the back, he's, he's doing that, and like, you're like, oh my word, like, this is the picture. This is the epitome of meekness. This dog could rip my throat out right now, and I'm petting him. That is power. That is strength. That is raw under control. Got it? Jesus said, I am meek. Jesus qualified himself as meek. Meekness is not weakness. 
Take my yoke. I'm telling you, there is not a stronger position on this earth than true meekness. Hold your tongue. Put your fist down. It takes a lot more strength sometimes to do that than it does the other. Meekness is not weakness, though. The same Jesus who said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, is the same one who confronted the religious leaders and flipped the, ta- the tables in the temple. Check it. Being meek is not, is not about never getting angry or never standing up. It means standing up and getting angry when it's appropriate. Man, I need the Lord's help. There's no way I can balance this scale without the Lord's help. There's no way. I'm I'm going to blow it every time. That's why the next virtue is so important, patience. Patience. Patience is what helps me know when I need to speak out and when I need to sit down. Patience. Simply defined. Patience. That's the definition of patience, by the way. I was just making you be patient. How are we doing? Come on. This is like one of these no definition. Patience. You know that one. How are you doing with patience? Like for real, how are you doing? Like some of y'all, some of y'all are like me. Like you yell at your microwave for being too slow. Like that's how life is. And like while the microwave is not offended at our yelling, it just so happens that my kids, my wife, and my colleagues are. You know what I mean? Anybody get in trouble with impatience recently? Impatience. Patience literally means to be long-tempered. To be long-tempered. It is impossible to be patient without humility and meekness. It is impossible to be. So here's the deal. It's like, I'm struggling with patience. All right. Do not collect go. Do not no, no, do not collect $200. Go back to go. That's what I'm trying to say. So go back to go. Do not collect $200. Go back to the start. C.1. Humility. Leads to meekness, which leads to patience. You're not going to be able to be patient if you haven't developed meekness and you aren't humble. Because you know when I am the least patient? I'll tell you. When I deserve, when I think I deserve it, pride. And when I have to have it, control. I am least patient. When I feel like I deserve it, pride. And when I have to have it, that's control. You know, how, you know how the Lord enables us to be patient? When I realize I don't have to have it. It's on his plan. And I will get it when he's ready for me to receive it. I don't have to take control. Humility Meekness, patience. Patience is humbly trusting God for his timetable. Impatience is proudly trusting myself. Patience is learning to control myself. Impatience is seeking to control the situation. Oh, 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 won't you come to Control Freaks Anonymous with me? You see, when we get... When the Holy Spirit empowers us to be humble, meek, 
patient now, 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 finally we can get here. Bear in love, bear in love, bear in love. Humble, humble, humble. Let's be eager. Let's be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. When we're humble, we can be gentle, we can be patient, and now we're able to bear with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now we can bear in love. Because of who I am, the Lord now is filling my heart, and now the rubber hits the road. I feel like I'm doing super well every morning just as I get up. And then I get in my car and start driving. And if I'm running late, there it goes, right? There's something about the mutual commitment piece that actually makes these virtues integral. It's the interacting with other people that actually challenges and lets us know if the Lord is at work. Love, love, love. Love is patient, kind, you know it. It's not rude. It doesn't insist its own way. It's all the things we just talked about. In its purest expression, here's what bearing in love is. It's forgiveness. Bearing in love is forgiving. My lack of humility has wrecked some things. My inability to tame my tongue has made a mess. My lack of patience, you know. And so the Lord says, bear in love. Bear in love because I see you as balanced through the work of Christ Jesus but you're still a work in progress. And you know what actually balances these scales practically in your relationships? Forgiveness. Because in my relationship with others, that scale's never balanced. I'm talking about my part of it. Oh, how I need others' forgiveness to level it out. You know how I know that will balance it out? Because it's God's forgiveness that balances those scales out before him. And so we forgive. And so we forgive. There's no, there's no worthy walk without forgiveness. And that's a whole other conversation I know that can be deep regarding your circumstances. Let us talk. But God has more for you there. Bearing in love, now this, keeping the peace, keeping the peace, keeping the peace, keeping the peace. When we forgive, when we bear in love, now we can keep the peace. He says this, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Peace seeking is not passive. It is active. We define peace as the absence of conflict. Come on, church. Back up from that. Peace. Peace in the Old Testament. The word shalom. You know what that is? It's the presence of harmony. It is the presence of God's righteousness. And that means for peace to prevail. That's not passivity. It takes activity. It takes effort to maintain peace. But note this. He says this. Maintain. Maintain. In order to maintain something, it means you already have it. Jesus Christ has already granted his followers peace amongst one another. We just haven't walked in it fully. 
He's already unified us. He's already balanced the scale. And what he's calling for us now is this. Come on, keep it there. Keep it there. Keep it there through the power of the Spirit. Rely on me. Acknowledge this. Listen, listen. While the world strives for the semblance of a pseudo unity and peace, the church is called to stand arm in arm in an objective supernatural peace and unity that the Holy Spirit has given. You see what it says? Bond of peace. Unity of the Spirit. This unity comes from the Spirit of God. It is outside of ourselves. Praise His name because I don't have it in me. Note this. True unity and peace are a gift of the Holy Spirit. For the church, peace is a realization more than it is a negotiation. Let me say that again. Hang with me. For Christians... Peace is more of a realization than it is a negotiation. When we disagree, we are to maintain unity by going together humbly, meekly, patiently, lovingly, forgivingly, where? To the Lord, to his word. Here we have objective answers, unity and peace. Peace is a person. We come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to his precepts. We come to his principles. We learn we want to walk worthy. We want to walk in his way. Therefore, it's not a matter of you give a little, I give a little. We come up with a new reality so we can have peace and get along. It is about what? Going back to God's timeless, eternal truths as Christians and being willing to lay down my presuppositions to follow after the Lord. That's where we find peace. And church, we have to model this first because we're the ones who've actually, it says the spirit of peace, peace of the spirit. You see, our unity collectively is found in us agreeing on God's unchanging truth. True peace is not merely all of us agreeing with one another. It's about all of us agreeing with God. Thus, Agreeing with one another. I know that seems tall. I know that seems out of reach. I know that seems divine. Yep. That's kind of the point. That's never going to happen. Well, now it's not. Our lack of unity is a lack of acknowledgement of the unity we already have. Our lack of peace within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a lack of acknowledging the peace that we really have. And so what if, what if, what if when we come together, what are we doing? Let us come reason together around the word, the objective word of God. If this thing is changing, we're in trouble. 
which is why the Apostle Paul now launches in, and we close with this. The Apostle Paul launches into this. Listen, listen. Our peace and unity is precious. It is a gift from the Lord, and it is worth fighting for. But the key is knowing which hills to die on. The key is knowing which hills to die on. And you know what the Apostle Paul does for us? He gives us the hills. You know what else we're called to? A common creed. A common conduct, a common character, and now we're called to a common creed. What you have in front of you is this. The Apostle Paul gives us an ancient creed. This is one of the earliest creeds commentators believe within the early church. These, this theme, what is the theme? Show me the theme. Hold up one finger. One, show this, like this. If you remember this, one, this is the theme of the earliest creed that we know of in the church. It's like, look, we have a common conduct, we have a common character, we can love each other, we can be unified, we can have peace, but you got to get on this. This is what we're fighting for. This is what we're standing on. This is what's balancing it out. You ready? You ready? Here it is. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. There is one God, and there is one Father of all, who is over all, who is through all, and who is in all. One. You know what hills we die on? One. One. Would you stand with me now as we close? Let me walk through these with you. Let us walk through these together. Stand with me. As a symbol of the mutual commitment that the Lord is calling us to, here's what the Lord is calling us to. One. He's reminding us here we can have unity and peace, and here's why. We are called to one body. We are one family. Therefore, look around. What does a family do? A family forgives and a family stays together. We are one body. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now note this. He's not just talking lowercase c. He's talking capital C church all around the globe. The unity we have here is felt out there, one we are one body. Now this, we are one spirit. How in the world can we come at one another when we stop and acknowledge this? The same Holy Spirit that is in me, driving me, is also in the brother or sister who I am in conflict with. One body. One spirit. One hope. We better learn to get along because we're all going to the same place. That's the point. Practice now because you might just get the seat in the worship center by that person for the rest of eternity. Awesome. One Lord, one faith, one, one body, one spirit, one body, one spirit. Now there's one hope. We're all going to the same place. Jesus shall return. Say amen. And here's the deal. One Lord. One Lord. You know what unifies us? Jesus is king. Say it with me. Jesus is king. He's the king. He's the boss. Not me. And so if he's saying to me, I got to let it go so that we can get along, that's what I'm going to do. But if he says I need to speak out because this is the primary principle in his word so that we can have true peace, I'm going to do that too. Jesus is king. First question I have when you come to me is, does the Lord say? One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, now this, one faith. Well, how do we know what the Lord says? One faith. How do we know what the Lord says? One faith. This is the sound doctrine. This is the faith. 
We have faith that we've been entrusted with a faith, with a doctrine, with a core teaching that was passed down from Jesus to the apostles, to the church, which you and I come here week after week to uncover and to learn again in his word. And then we unite ourselves in this. We don't have to wonder and to have, be in a tailspin all the time. Let us live the way of Jesus. Let us make the primary things the main things. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith. It's found in his word, one baptism. The same God who transformed my life, transformed the life of the person beside me. Your stories are not that different. At the end of the day, there's heaven and there's hell. That's what the Bible says. And by the time that reality comes, the core distinction will be do we bow our knee to the Lord or not? We're not that different. We're sinners. We're sinners who lack humility. have untamed tongues, seeks to be patient but fails regularly, gets easily offended and wants our way. But God, but God being rich in mercy, but God being rich in mercy, but God the Father, one God and Father of all who is in all and through all and over all. We are all lost but God. Our unity is found here. God the Father chose you. He sent his son to redeem you. And now you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You know what I love about this creed? The Holy Trinity of God is at work holding us together. God the Father, in ages past, desired to create you in his image and has welcomed you into the community of his beloved self. And so, Father, meet us here. Unite us here. Grant us your perfect peace here. May we be filled with all humility and meekness and patience and forbearance, Lord God. May we strive together to maintain the peace that has been entrusted to us once for all throughout the centuries. Bound in your eternal and errant scriptures, oh God, may we stand upon it. May we live it out. Thank you, Lord God, for the power of Jesus that is at work in us. We ascribe praise back to your name. We sing these truths as a creed of confession back to you, Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.